0: This morning, I'm excited to get back to our study in the book of Acts. We were last here, I was going through this. Uh, We were last here on March 8th. And on March 8th, we had no idea uh, the things that would take place. And really, I don't think we could have guessed. I don't think we could have imagined the things that would take place in the weeks following that. Uh, It has been 18 weeks. And in those 18 weeks, we have had a pandemic. Uh, We have bought up all the toilet paper we could We as a church, we met outside for a while. I preached on a video for a while. Easter, if you can imagine, we met outside and we had a video, Mother's Day, the same thing. Uh, We've passed through Father's Day now. Senior Sunday, we had a senior Sunday in recognition of seniors that didn't go back to school uh, from spring break on. And in the midst of that, the tail end of that, now we have great disunity, discord, and upheaval in our nation. Let me say this, in 18 weeks, Our world has changed. Uh, In very short order, in just these 18 weeks, things that we could not have imagined, now they may have been brewing, they may have been coming, but things really that we could not have imagined have now taken place. And friend, I want to tell you this morning, as I stand here, I am more sure today, at the end of these 18 weeks, of what I said on the very first week of our study in the book of Acts, And I want you to hear me very carefully. I want you to listen this morning. This is no coincidence. God is preparing his church in these, the last days, by looking at the church in the first days. And I said that when we started this study, and I believe that's what God has been doing. But I want to tell you, I'm no more convinced than I am right now. God is preparing the church in these, the last days, by looking at the account in the book of Acts, of the church in the first days. Let me tell you very clearly, the end is near. It is not very long now until Jesus comes for his church. And I believe we are living in those last days. And I believe listen, God is preparing us for how we're going to have to be and how we're going to have to act, how we're going to have to think in these the last days. Now let me let me say this. And I was thinking about this this morning, and I was talking to a guy this morning. You know what? This is our time in the church. And I I think about that. Look, Look at what the church looks like today, and it's not what I thought it was 18 weeks ago. But I'm going to tell you something. The light shines where? In the darkness. And if the church has ever had a day, this is the day for the church. The world is looking for an answer. The world is looking for hope. And these are the days... Of the church if you wanted to be in a church where the, where it absolutely mattered, these are those days. Now something else I've noticed in these weeks and, and it has become something that, that really is is just brewing inside of me is the realization that it is high time for the church to stand up. And I believe that. It is high time for the church to stand up. You see, we are the ones with the truth. The world's looking around trying to find the truth. We're the ones that possess the truth. We're the ones with the message of hope. We're the way that the world is going to find peace, reconciliation with a holy God. And so listen, it is high time for the church to stand up. And so excitedly, in that understanding, this morning we resume our study in the book of Acts. Today our message is entitled, "Church Take Note." Church, Take Note." We're in Acts chapter eight, verses nine through 24. Acts chapter eight, verses nine through 24. A pretty good chunk of verses. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would
1: stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. beginning in the ninth verse, says this. Now there was a man named Simon, who
0: formerly was practicing magic in a city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention in because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit." Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so
1: that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for our Savior, Jesus.
0: We're thankful that today, as the world has has changed, as we see all these events unexpected popping up, that the anchor of Christ is sure, that the anchor of Christ holds, that we have hope in a settled and finished salvation in the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray as we would hear today, as we would return to our study today, I pray that the church would be instructed. I pray that the church would be directed. And then Lord, I pray that the church would be faithful in the mission that you've given us in these days. Lord, I pray that the church would bring many people to the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus, of a, of a saving trust in our, in our Lord Jesus. And I pray that there will be a welling up of, of disciples who are making other disciples and that it would all be to the glory of you. Lord, we give this hour to you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you.
1: And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The world needs the church. I watched the events of the last couple of weeks. I watched as our nation
0: celebrated its birthday, and I'm I'm convinced the world needs the church. The, this is the time for the church to stand. In fact, I believe there's no greater time for the church to be the church. No more important time for the church to be the church. And then we need to understand in, in that thought pattern that the church is fueled by the truth of God's word. We need to be sure of that. The church is directed by the truth of God's word. We are stewards of and we are proclaimers of the truth of God's word. In these days, very sadly, I'm seeing two things. And maybe you could say you've seen the same things, and maybe as you watch the the horizon of what's happening, you would say very similar things. But in these days, sadly, I'm noticing two things. The first thing is this, the church has gone silent. The church has gone silent. Very simply, the church is not speaking. The church is not saying anything. And how strange that is, we're the ones that have the answer. We're the ones that can point to the answer of Jesus Christ. And yet, it looks like the church largely is silent. The church is not saying anything. Second thing I see is this. First, the church has gone silent. Second thing I see is this. The church has gone silly. Now, I was going to say stupid, but that wouldn't be nice. But the church has gone silly. And I've watched more hogwash and more silly things proclaimed in the last 18 weeks. And I'll just tell you, what the church is saying today is the world's garbage just recycled. It's the world's answers just repackaged. and, And everybody has a message. And I hear all these messages, and they sound thoughtful. They sound very impressive. But when I listen to them, they're empty. When I listen to them, they're meaningless. In fact, they are nonsense. It's just the world's message repackaged and run through the church. For sure, it is not the message of the Bible, the message of the Word of God. Folks, here's here's the answer. Here's the deal. As the church, listen very carefully, we have to be equipped in the truth. It's imperative. As the church... We are stewards of the truth. We are proclaimers of the truth. We're going to take the truth to a lost and dying world. And so we have to be equipped in the truth. We have to know. We have to understand the truth. Today, we come across these verses. And in these verses, there are some very big truths. In these verses today, there are some very big things that we need to know as the church, that we need to have settled as the church. Because listen to me, when Satan comes for the end time church, it's gonna be too late to prepare. And you know what, Satan has tried to lull us to sleep and the world's tried to lull us to sleep. But when Satan comes for the end time church, it's gonna be too late to prepare. We have to already be equipped in the truth of God's word. Now let me tell you a couple of the things we're gonna talk about in just these verses. What does it mean to be saved, truly saved? What does it mean to be saved? Does baptism save us? Are there there, there some other religious acts that, that that would add to our salvation? When does the Holy Spirit come? Does it come in a separate event from salvation? Is there something we need to do to secure the Holy Spirit? Now those are just three topics. Listen, those are three college classes by themselves, right here in our verses today. Get this, be sure of this. If the church is going to proclaim the truth, the church had better know the truth. Now, here's what's happened we've gotten busy with other things, and you know what? That sounds too hard. You know what? That sounds too daunting. You know what, I'm not sure what those verses are talking about. That's not something I can give my time to. You know what, somebody down at the church, they'll take care of that. I'm kind of bored by that. And so we've found our place in the church when we do not know the biblical truth. Well, today, there are some great truths for us to see in these verses. And so here we go in our verses. All right, 18-week gap, here we go. Remember the context here, and the context really is is key for us understanding what's happening here. The church is founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, and the church is preaching the good news of the gospel, and that's as we read these first eight chapters. We understand it's the good news that they're proclaiming. We understand that they're diligent and deliberate in the preaching of the good news. And so the church is gospel-centered. They understand the message of salvation through Christ, and they are preaching the gospel message. Well, understand, for that, persecution has broken out against the church. We read the account, these these first chapters, Peter and John have been threatened. In fact, all of them have been threatened. Peter and John have been imprisoned. They have been beaten. Stephen has been killed at this point. He has been stoned. He is dead. And the Bible tells us, due to that, the first believers have been pushed out of Jerusalem. I would say, honestly, they have been run out of Jerusalem. Intense persecution breaks out. And so the first believers have been pushed out of Jerusalem. And what do they do? Look with me at chapter eight, verse four. We're gonna back up. Therefore, therefore, those who had been scattered, pushed out, run off, went about preaching the word. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. We need to see this this morning. Hard times, tough times, did not stop the spread of the gospel, but rather tough times, hard times, sped the spread of the gospel. Folks, I want us to understand this. If God is teaching us now by looking at them then, we need to take note of this This is not the time to be silent. This is no time for us to be be silent. No, this is the time to get loud. We have the message, the message of good news, the the message of God's grace and his mercy shown towards sinners. We have the good news of the hope of a savior. We have the good news that Jesus saves. I've been waiting for this and I've been watching. Here's what's not going to happen. Let me tell you what's not going to happen. You know what's not gonna happen? There is not going to be a press conference, and I've watched a bunch of these, they have them about every 30 minutes now. There's not gonna be a press conference where this Dr. Fauci, that's how you say his name, and the Center for Disease Control and the World Health Organization, and they, there's not gonna be a press conference where they come in and they got all the suits around them and everybody wants to be in the picture and they all walk in with their suits And he comes in, and he's got his fancy suit on, and all the the press comes in, and the lights are flashing, and the senators and the congressmen, they want to be somewhere there in the background. And he gets there to the podium, and when he gets there, all the swirls around the podium, and he gets all of his papers out, and he pulls them out of his fancy briefcase, and and he stacks his paper. There's not going to be a press conference when he gets everything ready and says, you better find Jesus. That's not gonna happen. That's not gonna happen. I've watched for press conference after press conference. You know what? We've got trouble with, with, with race division in our nation. I've waited for the press conference when somebody said, we better find Jesus. You know what we don't understand? Should we wear a mask, not wear a mask? Go here, go there. I've waited for the press conference and no one's unfolded their papers and said, you better find Jesus. Listen, that is not their message, but it is our message. Now, what's the result? Verse eight. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now, that's a, this is a very ironic verse. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now, look at that for a second. They are chased out of town. They are persecuted. They have buried in tears their friend Stephen, and there is joy in the city is what it says. There is rejoicing in the city at the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, for us in the church today, we have to proclaim the good news of a risen Savior, hope in Jesus Christ. All right, that's the context that brings us to our verses. Verse 9. Man, this is going to be a long sermon. Now, there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in a city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. All right, magic. It could have been trickery. It could have been demonic. I think it was probably both. And he is, he is there in Samaria performing mag- magic. Now, it, it would have been probably reading futures, telling the future, divination, speaking to the dead, casting spells, those sort of things. And as he does that, people are astounded. As he does that, a crowd is drawing. Now, notice this. As he does that, Simon was the focus. It says he was claiming to be great. Now, let me, let me stop here. He, if you want to know what a false movement is, look for who the hero of the movement is. And that's something we see already in our verses. If you want to know what a false movement is, and I see them all today, somebody comes along and they say, we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to bind up COVID-19 and we're going to do this and we do that. And if the hero of the movement is Kenneth Copeland, if the hero of the movement is some other person, some other name, if the hero of the movement is anybody but the Savior Jesus Christ, friends, you have a false movement. And so Simon is there and he's doing these things and wow, they're impressive. But you know what? Simon is the one who wants to be known as great. All right, verse 10. And they all from the smallest to the greatest were giving attention to him saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. Verse 10 says, the people are eating it up. This man is even called the great power of God. It means he is God. He is divine.
1: Here's the truth for the church. If we're going to take note, be very sure of this. Listen very carefully. Satan
0: is real. The demonic is real. The supernatural is real. Real And so I, I want you to understand that demonic, the, the things of Satan, they're real. And it doesn't confirm that something is of God. If something is supernatural, these things were set up that people would be fooled. Listen, the demonic is real. The supernatural is real. I, I watched the last couple of years and there are TV shows of mediums. I think one of them even came and put on a, a, a show or whatever you call it in, in Wichita Falls. And one of them says they're even a Christian medium. And they were interviewing folks, and they said, you know what? They told me things that nobody should ever know. They told me things that I've never told anybody. Listen, I'm not saying that didn't happen, but what I am saying is it is of Satan. The demonic is real. Beware. So the, the warning to the church is just because something happens doesn't mean it's of God. The demonic, the satanic, is real. Be sure of that. Verse 11. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished him with his magic arts. He didn't just do it in one event. He was known for it. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Man, we're going to cover some, some, some deep stuff here. The people had been seeing that display. And I don't know if he's been telling them the future. I don't know what kind of tricks he's been up to, but they have been seeing that display and they've been astounded, amazed at what Simon is doing. But now due to the persecution, here here shows up Philip and Philip is in Samaria and the Bible says he's preaching the good news of the kingdom and the name of Christ. Let me tell you what he's preaching. He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. He's preaching the kingdom of God. He's preaching the truth of of, of a savior sent from God, the Messiah, Jesus. He's preaching that there is forgiveness of sin in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. He is preaching the message of the gospel. And the Bible says, and they are believing and they are baptized, men and women alike. That's important, men and women alike. All right, the truth now, if we're gonna take note in the church... The truth for the church is what is preached in the church listen must be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, this has gotten mixed up. This has become diluted. This is empty and void in our pulpits today. The message of the church, the 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 matter, the subject matter of the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you something. The world would like to hear something else. The world would say it's more thoughtful in these days to tell us something else. Surely there's something more more logical and thoughtful that you could tell us in such a crisis, but I want you to understand the subject matter of the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me make that plain to you. It is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. That is the message of the church, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, we need to understand some. We need to understand what sets us apart as the church is the gospel. We need to understand that. What sets us apart in the church, what makes us distinct in the church and not a, not a Rotary Club or a Lions Club, what makes us distinct in the church, different in the church is the gospel. It's not the programs that we have. It's the gospel. It's not our perception in the community. I watch churches and they're breaking their necks that they would, be, they would be appeasing some out of the community. Listen, it's not what the perception of the community is. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not the things that we enjoy. It's not the things that we have for us and for our kids. What makes us distinct in the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you the truth. 2020, churches are not preaching the gospel. One of the goofy things about this time is is I've had time to watch other sermons. And I don't don't generally spend a lot of time doing that, but you know what? Everybody's got an online presence. And in about 20 minutes, you can hear 30 different people. And I, I hear everything but it sings, but the gospel, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Churches are not preaching the gospel. I was thinking the last few days, everybody wants to join a movement. You ever notice that? Everybody wants to join a movement. You know what, here's this, here's this thing, let's join a movement. And we can give a name to the movement. You know the names. You know what the movement we ought to join is the church. Church. You know the movement we ought to join where there's going to be peace and reconciliation and hope it is the church but you know why it's not the church because the church has given up the preaching of the gospel let me tell you why i think it's because people have lost confidence in the gospel and we no longer believe the gospel is the power of God and salvation And we think maybe there's something that at this time, there's something more important. Or at this time, there's something more vital. There's something that's better that people should hear. And we've lost confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation. In the gospel, we are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are restored. We are made new in the gospel. And for whatever crazy reason, we've lost confidence in the gospel. Listen, the lesson for the church today is this. We as the church know hope. We have peace. Our answer is sure today. And so to sinners that are lost in their sin that are hurting today, we proclaim as the church, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. How long has it been since you got close to a church and it just prevailed over you? Jesus is the answer. Jesus saves. That is the message of the church. Verse 13, even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now, this is very interesting. Bible says he believed he was baptized. Now, here's the question. We're going to walk through it. Is he saved? Is he saved? Follow with me. We're going to keep moving. The Bible says here that he stays with the growing church. He stays with what's going on around Philip. He stays with the crowds. He stays, the Bible says, where the amazing things are happening. Let me tell you something I've noticed. Sometimes people hang around the church because it's where the hype is. You ever notice that? And sometimes look around this morning, when the hype is gone, so are the people. And there's a lot of folks that say, you know what, it's good and it's fun and it's exciting. It's everything I like. And as long as the hype is at the church, as long as there are amazing things, that is where I will be. Well, you know what, he stays with Philip and the exciting movement of the church. He stays with those folks. All right, verse 14. Verse 14. Now when the apostles, all right, it's going to to keep moving. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. Now, an apostle, this this is a big thing. It is a person commissioned by Christ. You don't choose to be an apostle. It is a person witness to the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, There were qualifications. You had to be witness to the resurrected Savior. These apostles were speaking the word of God. Now, their words are going to become our New Testament. These are the words of the apostles, the word of of God. And so they are speaking the word of God, and they are the leaders of the church. The church has formed. The church has started. The church is moving, and the apostles, they are the leaders of the church. Now, the Bible says the apostles... They hear what has happened. More than that, they hear what is happening. And so they send Peter and John, two apostles. They are deliberate in sending two apostles to check it out. Verse 15. Who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. These folks had heard, and it says they had believed but they had not received the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to talk this through. They had not received the indwelling, the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, here's a complicated question. We're going to see it in just these verses. When do we receive the Holy Spirit of God? When do we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God? Here's, Here's the truth of Scripture. Let me just lay it out for you. When we are saved, the biblical truth is We receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, the Holy Spirit, he is an individual. And so you can't receive an individual in installments. We don't receive a third of Jesus here and a third of him later. We receive the totality of Jesus. Well, listen, the Holy Spirit, we receive the fullness, the totality of the Holy Spirit when we are saved. Galatians says, when you hear the message of truth and when you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 says, when you heard the gospel, when you receive the gospel, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of of promise. Listen, that is the biblical truth. Now, I want you to understand why that's important. You cannot live as a follower of Jesus Christ apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. You cannot operate as a follower of Jesus Christ apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of Jesus of God. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are filled with the total presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, there are some that teach it's a separate event from salvation, and maybe you've heard that, maybe maybe you've thought about that. There are some, in fact, there are many that teach the Holy Spirit comes in a separate event from the event of salvation, and they would say it's a baptism of fire or a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and so you have the event where you got saved, and now you need to do something that you're later filled with the Holy Spirit. And they used this verse, some other verses as well, to say, well, do you see? They believed, and they were baptized, and that at a later date, they received the Holy Spirit. Listen, the biblical truth is we are filled with the Holy Spirit when we are saved. All right, so here's the question. So why weren't they? So why weren't they? Now, let me tell you, you better know this answer. We better know this answer in these last days. Three times in the book of Acts, it is recorded that the Holy Spirit is delayed or is separate from the event of salvation. That is biblical. That's in the book of Acts. The first is at Pentecost when they go to the upper room and he says, wait there in the coming of the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit comes and fills them there in the upper room. Now we have this event. So, so why does this event take place like this? Now, I want you to understand this was not normative. This was not the normal thing, but it does happen. Here are two reasons why it happens like this in this event. The first is this, listen very carefully. The first reason is this, for unity in the church. Unity in the church. You see the Jews and these now Jewish believers, these these Jews that had trusted Christ, they were suspect of the Samaritans. They didn't think they could get saved. They thought they were too trashy to get saved. They thought they were too far gone to get saved. And so you know what? They're not sure that a Samaritan can be saved. And so they're they're suspect of the Samaritans. Now the Samaritans, they are separate from the Jews. You've pushed us out. You've discarded us. You've discredited us. You don't like us. And so you know what? We're, we're, We're separate from you. Well, guess what? This one event ties them together in the church. The Bible says there is one church, and there is one baptism, and there is one spirit. And the Bible says whether you're a Jew or a Gentile or a Samaritan or a man or a woman, there is unity in the church. And so this event is delayed in this instance that there would be unity in the church. And the Jews would say, hey, they are saved. They did receive the Holy Spirit. The Samaritans would say, we are one. The wall is torn down, and we're unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second reason is this. There's unity in the church. Second reason is this. Why is it delayed in this instant? The second reason is this, is that there will be unity in the word of God. And let me tell you why this is important. Today, we live in a world where people say, you know what, I've got a fresh word. You know what, the office of apostle is opened again, and I'm speaking new words from God. And we've got folks saying, well, there's this thing and there's that word. And then we've got cults coming along in the Mormon church saying, we've added this book and that book. Listen, we are saved by the truth of Jesus Christ as revealed in the word of God. And so at the hands of the apostles, at the hands of those that are speaking the word of God, it is confirmed what they heard. It is confirmed what they believed and what they received, so that there will be unity in the Word of God. You know what? There is one gospel, and there is one Savior, and there's one salvation by faith, and that Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it is confirming a unity in the Word of God. That's important. That's important. We, we receive the Holy Spirit when we're saved. And you say, well, I don't know if that's that big of a deal, is it? Who cares? Let me tell you this, and you, and you look around and you see. Today, in the midst of a false teaching on the coming of the Holy Spirit, there are a lot of people that are spending a lot of their life seeking something that they already have. And I'll just tell you, there's denominations and there's folks And they say, you know what, I need a baptism of the Holy Spirit. I need a second event of the Holy Spirit. I need another event of the Holy Spirit. I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit and they go through life and say, oh if I could only be spiritual enough evidently those folks down there, they must be more spiritual or that folks back there they're more spiritual and oh if I could be spiritual enough or oh if I could just be good enough, evidently my sin is too great and I'm not good enough if I could just be good enough or maybe there's some secret thing, some secret prayer some, some situation I need to get into and if I only knew enough. And so they spend their time seeking something they already have. Listen, when you are saved, you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8 says, if you're not filled with the Spirit, you are not saved. When you're saved, you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. All right, verse 16. Man, what a big thing we just saw. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Remember that. I'm going to show you something. They had been baptized. They had just simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17. Then he began laying their hands. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, verse 19, saying, give this authority to me as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what happens. He has seen the power that can come when someone thinks you've got something they don't. He knows that. That was his old gig. He has seen the acclaim that could come if you can do things that would astonish People. And you know what? He sees the coming of the Holy Spirit, and this is an even greater thing. And so his heart is revealed as he says, You know what? Sell this to me. I see the potential in this. I see what would happen if I had this power. And so he says, sell this to me. His heart is revealed. Verse 20. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God. With money. He says to him, you missed it, brother. You don't understand. You don't even get it. You tried
1: to buy it. You don't even understand it. You have missed it. Verse 21. For I see, you. verse 21, you have no part or
0: portion in this matter, for your heart is not right, before God. You have no part, no portion, no peace in this matter. The matter is the filling of the Holy Spirit, for your heart is not right before God. Right, I'm gonna go slow here.
1: Simon believed. That's what the Bible says. Simon was even baptized. That's what the Bible tells us.
0: He was not saved. It says he has no part, no portion of this matter. He's not saved. He says he's going to go on and perish. He's not saved. The church in the last day better sit up and they better know this truth. And I I want you to hear this morning, it's a big deal. Church, there is a big difference in believing in God. I hear folks all say, yeah, I believe in God. I preach funerals. They believed in God. I believed in God. Yes, they, Yo, of course he believed in God even believing in the truth of Jesus. Yes, we believe in Jesus. Listen to the songs we're going to sing. There's a difference in believing in Jesus and trusting, listen, in faith, the truth of Jesus. Now, this is hard, but let me try to make a distinction for you here. You see, one of the ways is to understand Jesus by possessing facts about Jesus And and knowing information about Jesus, he was born here, he did this, having information about Jesus, having the words of the, the events of the life of Jesus that, that is one way to, to know, to receive, to believe the truth, but, but the other way is a response of the heart. Listen, it is to actually hear the gospel. It is to know the truth of what the gospel is saying, and it is to believe in trust in Jesus for your salvation. We call that a saving faith, a saving trust Now, I want to make this very clear, and this is a deep subject. The Bible says in James chapter 2 that the demons believe in Jesus. The, The demons, they have faith. It says they even shudder at the thought of Jesus. It is not talking about knowing about Jesus and understanding of Jesus. It is the trust of the heart, the faith of the heart in response to the truth of who Jesus is. Let me ask you today. Do you know Jesus? Not just facts about Jesus, but do you know the truth of Jesus? Have you trusted Jesus in faith for your salvation? Is he your hope? Not an academic thing you've checked off. Is he your hope? Is he your savior? Is he the payment for your sin? Do you understand the cost of your sin? Have you turned to him and trusted him for your salvation? Do you know, have you received
1: Jesus like that? You see, here's the warning. The Bible says there's going to be people.
0: This is what the Bible says. It's not me. It's what the Bible says that know all about Jesus. In fact, they're they're going to attend church, and they may grow up in a family where, boy, that family claimed the name of Jesus. They're going to know all about Jesus. The Bible says they will have even preached. They will have used their mouth to preach of Jesus. And Jesus will say on that day, depart from me.
1: I never knew you. I prayed about this yesterday. This is not supposed to scare you unless it needs to. Do you know your sin? Do you know your state in your sin?
0: Do you know what Jesus did as the remedy sin? Do you know why he did it? Have you trusted him for your salvation? Not of any work, not of any religious thing, lest you might boast. Bible says in the book of Romans, we profess with our mouth, listen, what we believe in our heart. What is your heart's response to Jesus? Do you know Jesus like that? Have you trusted Jesus for your salvation today? Do you understand? Outside of Christ, you're stuck in your sin. You'll die and you'll perish in your sin. You're condemned already. Do you understand? He loves you so much that He comes and is the perfect Lamb of God. He lives without one sin. He goes to the cross as the payment for your sin. That the wrath of God is poured out Him on that on that cross. He takes God's anger that was due of you, the penalty due of you, and He pays it. He settles it on the cross. Do you understand he's risen from the dead and it's not, it's not just an event, a token thing that we, we say, yes, it's the receiving of the receipt that he stands and he's victorious and the price is paid. Have you trusted that Jesus for your salvation?
1: Do you know Jesus like that? One other thing right here that the church better be sure of, and
0: I want to I bring this out too. I said there's some big things here. Simon was baptized. Verse says he's lost. The apostles confirm he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He's not gonna receive the Holy Spirit, he's lost. Let me ask you a question right here. So does baptism save you? He was baptized, does baptism save you? If baptism saves you, he would have been saved. Isn't that the truth? If baptism saves you, he would have been saved. Let me ask a question. How many people today, and I'm gonna tell you it's a lot of folks, are living in the lie that a baptism has saved them. How many folks are walking through the course of their life and they think, you know what? Somebody's told me that I was saved in my baptism and they're not considering Jesus and they're living in the lie that a baptism has saved them. And maybe it was an infant baptism, which is not in the New Testament, not in the Bible. Maybe it was even in a baptism as an adult, but the church somehow has told them that your baptism has set it right. Your baptism has saved you and they are trusting in a baptism and not in their faith in Jesus Christ, they're trusting in a baptism, and as they stand there trusting in a baptism, they are lost. Friends, let me tell you today, it is a lie of Satan. It is a lie of Satan meant to lead people astray. It is a lie of Satan that's meant to lead people to miss Jesus Christ. And we come along today, and we don't want to ruffle any feathers, and we don't want to be perceived mean in the community, and so we say, well, it's close enough. Well, it's good enough. Well, what does it hurt if they believe that? We believe something different, and most of the time we're not gonna take a stand, but I want you to understand if people are trusting in a baptism, They are lost. They will miss Jesus, and they will go to hell. It hurts people. People will miss eternal life in Jesus. Baptism in no time, no place, no way, no how. Does it have any piece of your salvation? It is settled only by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, who cares if they believe it? We do if we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ.
1: There is no hope in a baptism. Don't miss the last part. Verses 22 and 23. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and
0: pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven. Verse 23. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness
1: and in the bondage of iniquity. The gall, I want you to listen to this description. It is the syrup, the acid of
0: bitterness. You're in the bondage of iniquity, the chains of sin. Peter says here, Simon, I see that you're lost but it's not some hard thing. He's not coming to crush him. He sees the condition of his lostness. He sees that bitterness is the fruit of lostness. He sees that he's bound and controlled in his sin, that he's condemned in his sin. He sees his lostness and he says this, Simon, repent. And turn to Jesus. Listen, a lesson for the church today. This is what I love about this set of verses. The preaching of the gospel, listen to me, is always tied to an invitation to repent. Do you understand that? The presentation, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ is always tied to a call to repent. You see, he says, there's still time, Simon. There's still time. God's love for you still stands, Simon. God's grace is still offered to you turn to jesus turn to jesus no distance is too far and simon you may have missed it simon your heart is not right simon you may have blown it oh but simon turn to jesus repent turn to jesus there's hope in jesus that's the best news of the whole thing simon your heart's not right oh but if you'll just turn to jesus
1: there's good news for simon Verse 24, but, Dad gum, Simon, but Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you've said may come upon me. He doesn't do it. In fact, he says, can y'all do it for me? He'd understand that God's grace is
0: offered to him personally. He doesn't understand it's for him to receive personally. He says, listen, I hear what you're saying. Can y'all do that for me? Y'all pray that that's not my end. He doesn't get it. Friend, I want you to understand today, and I want you to be clear on this. Your faith is not tied to the faith of your spouse. Your faith is not tied to the faith of your mother or your grandmother that prayed for you. Your faith is not tied to your reputation, to your name, not how many times you've been in our church. Your faith is yours alone. It rests upon you alone. And it must be in Jesus alone. Oh, can y'all do something for me? Listen, they couldn't do anything for him. Question again today is this. So how do you know Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus for your salvation? Do you understand again your sin and, and his remedy for your sin? Do you know
1: Jesus, have you trusted him for your salvation? Let's pray. Dear Father, we come and we're we're thankful for your truth. I pray that we would be open and we would hear.
0: I pray that your spirit inside of us as believers would lead us and and teach us and direct us. Lord, I pray that we we would be convicted as a church. I pray that we would be encouraged as a church. Lord, forgive us for being silly. Forgive us for being silent. Lord, help us to proclaim at every turn the truth that there is a Savior and he saves. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter where you stand. standing. If you'll repent and you'll turn in faith, you will be saved. Lord, help us to proclaim that. Lord, I pray for us that we would sit here and we would stand today in peace. We would exist in a settled hope. We wouldn't be tossed about in turbulent days, but we would stand. And I pray that in that in that security that we would open our mouths. And I pray these would truly be the greatest days for your church, and as the lost world perishes and walks towards death, that we would proclaim the good news we have in Jesus. Lord, and then I come and thank you for all of it. I thank you, and I praise you, I bless you, I worship you. Lord, I pray that you've spoken, I pray that you continue to speak. I pray if there's one in this room that doesn't have a settled faith, saving knowledge in Christ today, that they would sell it today. Lord, I pray for those of us that do that we be bold as never before. We give this to you, we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.